0: Afternoon, I preach to you the gospel as God revealed it to us in the eighth commandment. And that is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall not steal. Lord's Day 42 of the Heidelberg Catechism explains what we confess concerning this commandment. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed, and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the 8th commandment makes us think about our relationship to material possessions and in this commandment the Lord teaches us that it is wrong to love money so much that you are willing to harm others in order to get more and I think we get that we wouldn't want others to take our stuff So, we shouldn't take the things that belong to others. The Holy Spirit in our hearts makes us want to deal with others as we would like them to deal with us. That's what we confess in Lord's Day 42. Rather than steal from others, we want to be generous, the other side of the eighth commandment. And many generous donations from many giving hands have allowed this Christian community to build beautiful church building, other beautiful church buildings in our city, school buildings. And these buildings, along with different ministries, both locally and also abroad in other countries, they are a testament of Christian generosity. When we got married, if you got married, you prayed in the prayer in the form for marriage that you would live with, in all modesty. That's what we're trying to do, live in all modesty. And before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we recognize that we also want to reject extravagance. So we seek to do that. We ensure that we constantly have what we need to give to those in need. But then we get to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. And it takes us to another level in the Eighth Commandment because it says that just giving is not enough. Perhaps it's a little unsettling. Here you are, giving donations of your hard-earned income to God's kingdom work. And the Holy Spirit says it may be all for nothing. You can give away all you have, says Paul, says the Holy Spirit, and still... End up as nothing. And we see that giving in itself doesn't earn anything for you, doesn't guarantee your salvation. Generosity doesn't bring anything to you. And we ask, well, why? Why isn't it enough? If you think about it, you can realize that it's possible to give without love, to give without the Holy Spirit. And that thought is very important in our day and age, when even the poorest in our midst are in a similar situation to the rich people that Jesus was looking at in the temple. This text is important to consider in our present culture here in North America, where time is more important than relationships, where results rule the day, People never seem to have enough time to spend with friends they have, never mind the needy they don't really know. But God, by God's grace in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, He, he lifts us to a, a higher level. As a church, we are more than just a building, bricks and mortar. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. He brings us into sincere love. and I preach you this gospel under the theme, if I give away all I have, but have not love, I am nothing. And the Holy Spirit teaches us then to beware of pride, to be aware of the poor, and then to be careful to love. If you have your Bibles open in front of you, I'm looking especially at Mark 12, verse 13, 38 to 13, verse 2. Then we read that the Lord Jesus is watching people as they're giving their gifts. He sees both the rich and the poor. Now, if you read through these verses very carefully, you will see that the Lord Jesus does not com- condemn people for being wealthy and he doesn't condemn them for being poor. Both things can happen to us in our life. Even without knowing about the providence of God, most people in the world recognize that there are many factors related to our financial situation. Although it may seem true, it may seem true that a, a worker receives a wage, a hard worker and a wise businessman will get more, and that if you're willing to live in a cold place like Edmonton here in the north, you can maybe even get a bigger wage. That rule doesn't hold true. When the government is corrupt, when the economy dies, when illness strikes or the main source of your income dies and leaves no inheritance, there are no set rules guaranteeing wealth, guaranteeing poverty. The homeless are not necessarily lazy, the wealthy are not necessarily hardworking the Lord reveals that riches and poverty come not by chance but by his fatherly hand our care and labor we confess and also God's gift cannot do us any good without God's blessing It's not to the credit of any person when he becomes rich nor to the shame of others when they find that they do not have enough to survive sometimes God blesses our care and labor sometimes he doesn't it's all in his control and this understanding helps us to be very humble humble about any financial riches we may enjoy this understanding also allows us to keep our head up when we find that we cannot make ends meet God is in control Jesus sees both the rich and the poor and his teaching is not be rich his teaching is neither not be poor but rather it has to do with how we react to our particular situation Jesus teaches us beware of the scribes it's verse 38 the following verses right after that they, they teach us that we have to beware of the scribes not only because they might hurt us but because we might be tempted to do what they're doing Reading Mark twelve verses thirty-eight to uh, verse verse. Mark twelve verse thirty-eight to forty, and also James two, reminds me of when I was a kid. Maybe you have the same thing. I was really impressed. I was really impressed with people who drove fancy cars. I was very impressed with these huge mansions. I thought it said something about the person driving them. It always attracted my attention. I wasn't alone. There was even a TV show at that time. It was called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And I imagine that the wealthy had no cares, Psalm 73. Well, Jesus tells us in this passage that I responded to wealthy people in the exact way that many of them wanted me to. Many wealthy people probably liked that I was impressed with their things. Well, that shows us that many adults never manage to outgrow a childhood fascination with with riches. In Mark twelve and James two, the Holy Spirit teaches that the same worldly attitude toward wealth is a sin that has been around for a very very long time, even among those who call themselves. God-fearers or Christians. So Jesus taught us to beware of the scribes. He says, because if you follow their bad example, you too will receive, he says in verse 40, the greater condemnation. That condemnation is not because of their riches, but because of their pride. Their desire to impress others with their riches. They liked the attention that their long robes drew to themselves. They liked having people seek their approval and, and show deference to them and greet them in the marketplace. It, it made it all worth it to buy that stuff. They liked having the best seats in the synagogues, the places of honor at the feasts, wealth. Was important to them because it helped them impress other people. Does this remind you of anyone you know? Could it be that perhaps you also buy to impress? Yet in his commentary, Jesus also shows that there is even an even darker side of this pride and confidence and money. It reveals that their desperation for respect through wealth was so great that they were even willing to devour widows' houses. That's synecdoche. I think that's how you say it. Apparently they learn it in grade 6. That means you have an example, something that represents All kinds of oppression. The sins. The sin is referring to the eighth commandment in all its fullness. The sin of pride, the desire to impress others, it actually pulls us into a vicious cycle. Because the wealth that can be gained from theft and dishonesty and hypocrisy and fraud, and oppression, all those things listed in Lord's Day 42, all those things can be used to distract people's attention away from the real situation of their hearts and even allow us to justify or cover up wickedness. The Lord Jesus doesn't condemn wealth, but he condemns the wrong ways of attaining wealth and the wrong motives for attaining wealth. Well, that vicious psycho, it's propelled along as much by pride as it is by envy. It's propelled along as much by the rich who buy fancy things to to be seen by others, as well as by those who are jealous or who are willing to show the rich partiality. James talks about the sins of pride and partiality, pride and prejudice. Showing partiality or prejudice encourages the wealthy in their pride. And James is clear partiality is a sin. It's a sin because it fails to see that wealth does not actually make one person greater than another. Wealth is just a situation we find ourselves in as a result of God's sovereign decision, His providence parable of the talents makes that clear. We are all servants of God. Wealth is just to be used to serve in God's kingdom. For this, everyone must always be aware of the needy. Mark carries us into a consideration of what giving to the kingdom looks like in a very practical way. Now Jesus is sat down opposite the treasury, that's verse 41. He's watching the people putting money into the offering box. Entrance to the temple, there were 13 trumpet-like boxes for receiving. You could throw your money into different tasks or different projects. That financial giving is as much an act of devotion as singing the praises of God in songs. For when we give our gifts to God, we show our devotion, our commitment to his kingdom. Reminds us again that God does not give wealth to individuals for their own use strictly, but he is giving it to a community through the individuals as a whole. The community receives what they need. The deacons distribute it. Ephesians 4, verse 28 talks of that. That's what the catechism also refers to. In the principles of the Old Testament, they would require people to give according to their wealth. So the sincerity of one's heart is known by, uh, to God by the percentage of wealth that goes to him. That's what Jesus is talking to his disciples about as he is watching the, the amounts that people are putting in. He calls in his disciples to highlight the widow's complete trust in the Lord. Some people gave out of their wealth, but that widow gave out of her poverty. And We can imagine imagine the scene very, very clearly. You can imagine her coming up with two little tiny coins in her hand. And it would have been easy to hold back one of the coins, but she gave them both. It's a wonderful, it's a very powerful picture. Her faith, her trust in God were exceptional. It's noteworthy. It's humbling. Some people use this text to tell people, yes, even poor people, to give everything they have to the church. There's a lot of preaching. I don't know if you've ever heard it. There's a lot of preaching when I lived in Brazil. It was the theme of a lot of preaching. It was be like that widow. And often while they are living off the spoils of their spiritual abuse and driving fancy cars that they bought from the offerings of the poor, false preachers are are urging confused members of their churches to have complete faith and give more. You'd hear stuff like, Don't just give your second to last copper coin, but give your last coin too. Give away all you have. what they're saying. Trust in God and you will see that he keeps his promise to Malachi to fill your vats to overflowing. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. It's not the message of Mark. It's not the message that Jesus wants to send to his church. It's not the message that Jesus wants the widows to hear. The Holy Spirit does not encourage devouring widows income. You see our Lord Jesus sees the whole scene. He notes that there are rich people beside that poor widow. And yet she was still so poor that she had to put in everything she had, all she had to live on. How was it possible to have such a poor widow in the midst of a congregation that said they believe that if they are not generous to the needy, they are insulting God their maker. Proverbs 14 verse 31 that was on display as you came in today were they not aware of her needs you see if everyone was living in abject poverty and that happens as well the poor widow among them would not be such a wicked thing for Jesus to see but the disciples they they even point out right in that exact time they they point out that the church was far from being poor and in fact it was blessed with Wonderful stones, they say. 13 verse 1. Wonderful buildings. They're they're proud. That message that's being sent out. There was no need for this widow to be so poor. The problem was not a lack of money. But the problem was that the people were not aware that the widow was there because they were so focused on themselves and on their great projects, their great buildings. See, widows were being robbed right in the middle of the temple, because everyone was so busy looking at their temporary buildings that Jesus said would be destroyed one day. They did not see the eternal soul of of the poor woman standing right in front of them although people were generous in their giving they might even tell their friends I give a lot to God they did not show love in their priorities they ended up doing what James 2 verse 6 says dishonoring the poor wishing them well but sending them off home empty-handed brothers and sisters beware of pride Be aware of the needy and, dare I say it, be wary of great building projects. Well, a few decades after Jesus spoke these words, the temple was destroyed. It had become obsolete when Jesus offered his own life as a sacrifice on the cross. He gave away all he had. Even his very life. And he had love. So it wasn't nothing, it was everything. He ushered in the kingdom where he reigns as king. Jesus shows that he fulfills the promise of Psalm 146 that we sang, where the Lord announces that he upholds the widow. In Jesus' kingdom, the Holy Spirit reigns in the hearts of believers, leads us to obey this eighth commandment with joy, seeing, being aware of those whom God places in front of us with need. The love that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts compels us to eagerly desire that the needy are cared for. You feel that eager desire? don't you? The Holy Spirit works that in your heart. You want to see the needy. And so we pray that the deacons may have sufficient resources for the ministry of mercy. And we pray that we may joyfully assist them in their work by displaying the love of Christ to the world. And we see how it all fits together. We're not just throwing coins. but We're thinking be careful to love people. I think that you've probably drawn all the lines already. You've contextualized. You've made the message very clear for your own life. But it's good to be clear. The Holy Spirit didn't give us this teaching of Jesus. Didn't lead us to read it together this, this afternoon so that we could point our fingers at those nasty scribes and Pharisees and say, tisk tisk. The living preaching of the Word, it, it brings it all right into our own situation. The Holy Spirit is teaching us a proper understanding of the Eighth Commandment at that deeper level. It's not just a commandment about contentment, don't steal. It's not just a commandment about being generous. But it's a commandment that calls us to truly love God and our neighbor. And the key thing to understand from Jesus' teaching is that we cannot separate the two. Anyone who truly loves God will also necessarily love their neighbor. So how do we show love for our neighbor? That's the question we need to think about. means to put their needs first on our list of priorities. If their needs are primarily financial, We follow the instruction of the Holy Spirit in James. We pray that we will never consider it acceptable to have a brother or sister who is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food in our midst or in our neighborhoods while we have the means to be comfortable and build our fancy buildings. Easy to say, but such a commitment requires real investment Time and money. And by real investment, I, I don't just mean that pocket change that we might throw into a collection bag on a Sunday. And by real time, I don't mean the time it takes you to try and find another toonie. Love that imitates Jesus' love is self-sacrificial. Showing love to others means less time and less money for yourself. We also show love to our neighbor by caring for their spiritual needs. The two always go together. And once again, love demands that we invest time and money into the preaching of the gospel, the pastoral or the spiritual care of God's mission work among those who are unchurched. And again, I think we understand that. We look around, we, we can say the congregation does a wonderful job. Shows a lot of love. Very active, very giving, very generous, beautiful. Testimony, the work of the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit within us makes us want to ensure that all this giving is in accord with 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Does it ever happen that you give without loving? Could it be that a poor widow or anyone in need is standing right beside us, watching us divert our money right past her into the next big project? Are we getting into the habit of paying others or ordaining deacons to love our neighbor for us? I can give you some examples just to get you thinking, talking together about this over dinner. I think we all give to Mission Brazil or Word and Deed, organization like that. We give, the money goes there, and the question is now do we, do we show love when we give? Do we, do we care enough about the people we're giving to? Do we think about them? Do we pray about them? Do we read up? How things are going in other places in the world. Or perhaps we can think about outreach in this own in our own city again. There's a desire for this, there's a giving toward this, there's an investment of of time, even. A lot of talk about attracting people to church services with, with different music and different kinds of teams, but at the same time it's very hard to find volunteers. To actually be involved in, in so many of the projects that are available. So the money can be there. But it's the love. Perhaps even in the church. We all give to the church. We all give to the deacons. We support one another. Do we love one another? Do we know one another? Do we take time? To show our care. Sometimes we're so busy, we're so busy, it's hard to show actual love, even with the Christians that we worship with on Sundays. And that's what the eighth commandment leads us into, that's what the Spirit generates within us. Hearing that, we, we want to show love, don't we? That's what the Holy Spirit leads us into. That's obe- obeying the Eighth Commandment in its fullness. Not just talking about the idea of loving others, but actually beginning to love in action. I'll end with an illustration. Sometimes we consider the could see a church to be like a, a big sealed holding tank. We watch out. We take care of our own. We make sure that there's a good income coming in, and we make sure that it's well administer, uh, administered. But Maybe instead of comparing it to a big sealed holding tank, it would be helpful to, to think of it as a more shallow tray with, with tubes, pipes, extending out from it, and all directions, kind of just at the full mark on the tray. We acknowledge that God is is pouring his blessings into that church, into that tray, and after filling the church with what it needs so that it can supply others, the water starts to flow through the pipes, and then it goes outward. Well, each one of us is like one of those pipes, one of those conduits. The wealth we receive is, is like water. It runs through us, but it never really belongs to us. We're just stewards. And we show what we believe about God and his kingdom by, by where we direct that pipe. Is it all directed to ourselves, or is it directed outward to God's kingdom? And some of these pipes are smaller. Some are bigger because God gives different Levels of wealth to different people in this life, in his wisdom. Now, when we are completely other directed in our love, it's like being a clean pipe. We're efficient, and the maximum amount of God's blessings they go through us to help others. But when our lives are filled with greed, And with selfish desires, we can be compared to a dirty or a half-clogged pipe. And when I was writing that, I was thinking of a picture I'd seen recently of it It a city drain. It shows how much fat clogs the city drain. I don't know if you've seen the picture, but it was a pipe, and it was just clogged with, with fat. There might still be a trickle of wealth that's running through this pipe, going to others, but most of it, gets stuck to the selfish walls of the pipe. When people use the gifts that God has given us to, to try to impress others with our clothes or with our phones or with our cars or with our homes or with our property. Now when we see every purchase we make as a, as a gift from God that, that we're actually ramming into the useless fat buildup on the inside of a pipe... Perhaps we will be less tempted to try and show the world how rich we are. It's not as impressive as you think when we have the eyes of God, the Lord Jesus, looking at the offerings. Brothers and sisters, that picture in our mind, we're reminded that God gives us many riches, much wealth, but when His Spirit is in our hearts, urges us to look around, to be aware, to be generous, and to love. Because generosity, though lauded by society, is nothing if it's not accompanied by love. Amen. We'll sing together Psalm 49. Stanzas 2 and 5, it's another psalm with the same theme, reminding us, it's not money that can ransom a life, but only God in his grace in Jesus Christ. So we'll sing together Psalm 49, stanzas 2 and 5. Standing if you're able to stand.